We're back in here today, Athens. and we have, is it March 30th? Mm-hmm. Is that the day? And we have some, an interesting format going on. We have some guests today. My other best friend, Crystal. Hello, hello. The mother of my other, my first two, the original OG godchildren. Keegan and Auburn. Keegan and Auburn. And then our friend, Nicole. Yay. Hi. Say hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Hello, everyone. <laughs> So yeah, um, glad we had a fun night out last night. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we did. Uh, too much fun. Yes. <laughs> we were up until like four. Yeah, only been two weeks since the last time we recorded, and a lot has happened in two weeks. Yeah. Um. So my cousin Carol, who was on an episode talking about my aunt Lillian, um, her niece, so my other cousin Rebecca, just had brain surgery and had a significant tumor removed. So that was, uh, she's doing great now. I mean, as well as can be expected mm-hmm. after having your fucking brain operated on. <laughs> yeah. But she's 25, so it's, she's really young, but she's vibrant and beautiful. And please send all the good energy for a speedy recovery. Yes. And we love you, Rebecca. Yeah. So, so yeah, a little quick update. And I think that's, that's about all we got. Yeah. I'm sure people have died. <laughs> elsewhere somewhere someone's died Look, how about you guys know anybody that's died like are you, are you good not okay. in the last two weeks not in the last two weeks all right yeah. you're good nothing right. i can recall okay <laughs> <laughs> all right well today to kind of lead in because crystal has a story she's going to share but to get her kind of you know used to the old mic lubed up oh lubed up oh yeah <laughs> lubed up for the mic we wanted to do a research topic and i was thinking so what can i do with crystal that would be a good research topic I'm kind of nervous and do you i not know what it is no, no uh, oh yeah because I, I touched i was like what what is this she's like you can't read it it's a surprise <laughs> i'm very like casey I knows i'm like <laughs> looking ahead <laughs> and casey knows um yeah because we you know obviously we discussed it because it's sort of your surprise or whatever yeah because we just like that sort of element of what yeah so i was trying to decide what I wanted to do your research topic on and then it hit me like a bolt of lightning because Crystal being an English teacher yes lit teacher Mm -hmm. what would you say your official teacher I mean I teach high school English but that includes literature and composition so okay more reading than writing so for the last two months I've been doing some deep dive extensive research and culminating a list of 10 deaths from fiction. Oh, yes. Let's go. <laughs> so uh, I have been on the Reddit. I have been on the interwebs. I'm so excited. Hitting the Facebooks, you know, and polling <laughs> people and asking people what their, um, you know, like most impactful death from a work of literature is. And I think we'll all talk about ours at some point also. And... Um, but yeah, so why don't we get started with the top 10 list? And if yours happens to be on the top 10 list, jump in. 
And if not, we'll save it for the end. How about that? Perfect. Okay. Cool. Oh my God, I feel so special. Okay. Let's <laughs> so, um, and then, like I said, and we, I try to set a, so if you don't like spoilers, just maybe don't listen but i tried to set a precedent of maybe go away of no books that were published after 2012 because i'm kind of okay okay you know yeah, yeah, yeah that makes sense or no well yeah it's like if you haven't read it by now at this like you're, you're not going to yeah like if you know what i mean yeah but most of them are older classic books yes who that have now had a movie made about them and so. now suddenly Crystal's sitting here with her pocket protector and her <laughs> tape glasses. <laughs> and she's so pumped. She's is nerding out in a major... I mean, I wait, do we... And when Did she you said see my she t-shirt? Was, when yes. she said she was wearing this t-shirt, I went like... And she doesn't even know. I'm an English teacher, not a magician, but I can see why you might be confused. Yes. Which is, is the bitches. t-shirt she has on in the Perfect. moment. So, and she's like, can I wear my nerd out English t-shirt? And I said, if you only knew. You have no if idea. Only, if you knew, friend. So, okay, let's go. And number 10 on my compiled list, Charlotte and Charlotte's Web by E.B. Mm. White from 1952. Oh, man. <laughs> That's a good one. As I said, if we just went with the top 10, it would all be dog and children deaths. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of went all over the board and try to narrow it down but charlotte's web was brought up a lot so epic book just to summarize a little charlotte the spider saves wilbur the pig by making him famous through weaving phrases into her web and making the barn a tourist attraction full of miraculous webs this inspires the farmer to enter wilbur at the county fair where he falls short of the blue ribbon but is awarded a special prize charlotte knowing her plan has succeed has succeeded feels comfortable allowing herself to die alone at the fair. And so this is the quote. You have been my friend. That in itself is a tremendous thing. I wove my webs for you because I liked you. After all, that's a life. What's a life anyway? We're born. We live a little. We live a little while. We die. A spider's life can't help being something of a mess. With all this trapping and eating flies, by helping you, perhaps I was trying to lift up my life a, li- a trifle. Heaven knows anyone's life can stand a little of that. Yes, Aww. Charlotte. So, there we go. That's a good one. So, I can't believe you just spoiled that for me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you just spoiled Charlotte's Web. So as much as, as much as Charlotte Web, Charlotte's Web is like a kid's story. It mm-hmm. has those big, um, those big ideas about how to teach young people about being a good person so wilbur mm-hmm. you know charlotte is sacrificial and she's trying to teach you know wilbur and the farm animals and and the farmer what's the farmer's name the farmer guy the, yeah. the human in the mm-hmm. story <laughs> she's trying to teach the human about you know good deeds and all that kind of stuff oh that's a sad death yeah that's a sad death and, and don't it, don't the little spider babies go visit yes that got me that always made me so yeah that at the because so in preparation for this, I've gone back and please audibled. Tell me, please all, tell me you read all ten of these books. Yes, I've audibled all of these books. Oh my gosh! With the exception of two, because one I had audibled in the last six months, and the other one I did, and I, I couldn't do it again. Mm. So um, oh anyway, so makes me nervous. <laughs> it makes me excited. So this really opens yeah. up just a, a huge, huge possibility for. 
us talking in future episodes about movies and TV shows yes. and all this. And I would even say like it would be fun to do another list of books somewhere mm-hmm. down the line after we'll see how this goes. But so this is send us your Yeah, definitely or send most us impactful your most fictional because uh, I didn't I didn't poll our group mm-hmm. because I didn't want them to didn't want to spoil didn't it. want to spoil the spoilers. Nice. Hello at so, But were you saying you were saying about the like what were you done with that thought? I was done with that. Okay. Okay. Just making sure. (laughs) Number nine. (laughs) And then you were saying that, yeah, with the, where the spiders go and visit. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so a couple of the comments from Reddit when I, you know, polled everybody. When Charlotte died in Charlotte's Web, my grade two teacher was reading it aloud to her, to the class. Her death broke my heart. I cry every time I read Charlotte's Web. I even cried during a children's theater production. It's without a doubt the single most moving piece of literature for me. I always loved the story, but having my own kids really put it into perspective for me. Okay, so also, in addition to teaching them how to be, teaching kids how to be like good friends and good people, it teaches them about dying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that death and that life is, you know, fleeting. Yeah. And so it's a a way for kids to learn how that that things end you know that yes that is probably the most profound way to explain it to a kid because that's such a hard thing to talk to a kid about yeah Lars actually said something to me one time about when keegan and auburn wanted a dog they wanted a pet and i mentioned it to her because you know she's a dog person mm-hmm. and she um she was like you know it's responsible you're gonna teach them responsibility and they're gonna have love and all that kind of stuff she was like and they're gonna learn about death because that me. dog's gonna <laughs> die yeah because yeah. Yeah. that dog yeah. is going to they're gonna outlive the dog so yeah. eventually it's gonna be i was like oh well i mean yeah. which is it's hard and it sucks but it's also a very real thing and a much better way for a child to learn about it for the first time and to understand that it's not coming back than the alternative yeah. so let's get a goldfish yeah <laughs> so so that was number 10 does everyone name remember the name of the rat oh oh, oh god bonus points R- mm. if you hadn't it begins oh, with shit. a t, t- uh, th- uh, Something ten. Templeton. 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 Something ten. Coming <laughs> through in the clutch. I was yes. like, Rumpelstiltskin. Ten points to... No, Rumpelstiltskin. Well, I'm done, guys. Ten I points to Hufflepuff. What are you... No, what are you... Um, I don't remember. You don't remember? Okay. No. Um, Wait, your husband. Oh, my God. There better not be a Harry Potter death in this freaking list. <laughs> <Okay>, so, <laughs> number nine. <clears throat> Ruth from Fry Green Tomatoes. Oh, oh God. Goodbye. From 1987. So... This was one I had read not too long ago. Like I read it within the last year, so I didn't redo it again. And I the movie is so entrenched mm-hmm. in my brain. But you know, I hope I'm not confusing the book with the movie too much because I was like, I just, I, I just did this. I don't want to listen to it again. Yeah. I was like, if I have time, I might. But I, I finished the last book on the how, drive to Valdosta. How different was the movie? From there the was book? a lot, a lot of details in the book that aren't oh, in gotcha. the movie, but it and like. In the movie, Buddy, Iggy's brother Buddy that dies in the beginning Mm -hmm. is engaged to Ruth in the movie, and that's not how it is in the book. Oh, okay. So, you know, it's just some things like that. But death and grief is all over that book. I mean, people are dying (laughs) everywhere. First, Iggy's brother dies, and then afterwards says, but she never did cry. She was too hurt to cry. You know, a heart can be broken, but it keeps on beating just the same, which is one of the famous quotes from the book. And so, after she meets Ruth, 
but Ruth goes away and marries Frank Bennett. Then her mother dies, and that's what when she writes Iggy to come home and help her escape from her abuser. Mm-hmm. They start the Whistle Stop, Stop Cafe and raise a son together, Buddy Junior, who they call Stump. And so they, you know, live their life together, and then Ruth gets sick and then dies of cancer. And mm. yeah, that so, is horrible. So that was a bad. A bad one. I don't, like. I can't help but see the scene in the movie though in my oh, head. Like rough. even just. <laughs> so I assume you've seen it. You've read it or seen I've it. I've not read it. I've seen it. Okay. And I've seen it a long time ago. So I'm yeah. Like, oh yeah. Someone dies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think it was sad. So that one wasn't like super impressioned yeah, into your mind. Every time I see railroad tracks and it's like South Georgia, I think about that movie. Yeah. Because oof, what a way to go. But that one's the movie is so ingrained in me. It's hard for me to separate it from the book. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's number nine. Number eight, Matthew Cuthbert from Anne of Green Gables. Oh, God. That one. Mm-hmm. That one's a good one. Yeah. And that it's a bad one. And, and that and that it's just such a bad one. Did you ever do Anne of Green Gables? Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, lit, I don't know Anne of Green Gables. You kn- you don't I know, know what it is. is. Okay. That makes me feel better. Okay. No. Like, well, I'm glad that Nicole does. <laughs> yes. There's someone um, here that does. Disclaimer, just because I'm an English teacher doesn't, doesn't mean you've read, read every, every, every book, book in the hey, whole world. Hey, guess what? That's okay. It's all right. <laughs> no pressure. But Anne, is, Anne of Green Gables is one of my all-time favorites like i was looking forward to rereading it for the list Mm -hmm. but the matthew death is so sad um and it's kind of a long (laughs) it's kind of a long um passage but to me it really just describes the whole process that you go through when someone dies so i tried to cut out some of it but here we go and Matthew, Matthew and Marilla Cuthbert decide to adopt a boy, but when Matthew goes to the train station to pick him up, he is surprised to find a girl named Anne waiting for him. Being a shy and quiet man, he doesn't quite know how to handle the situation and brings the girl back with him so Marilla can handle it. However, on the journey home, he becomes quite taken with her. They decide to take in Anne and give her the best life they can. Anne is spirited and imaginative and gets into many misadventures, but she definitely brings much joy to the Cuthberts. Marilla is rather stern and Matthew is shy, but one of the sweetest things is when he seeks out a friend to help her get a dress with puff sleeves for Anne as a gift. Yes. Oh, God, that was precious. I know. It's like the best moment. Mm-hmm. Just okay. make it, like making those connections, stepping outside of yourself to be able to make those connections with someone you don't yes. know how to connect with. Right. And yeah, looking for ways. To- oh my God, it's like the sweetest. Mm-hmm. Sadly, though, the point comes when Sweet Matthew dies of heart failure. And then here's the quote from the book: "The news spread quickly through Avonlea, and all day friends and neighbors thronged Green Gables and came and went on errands of kindness for the dead and living. For the first time, shy, quiet Matthew Cuthbert was a person of central importance. The white majesty of death had fallen on him and set him apart as one crowned." And then her friend, uh, Diana, comes and asks if she would like her to stay with her. Thank you, Diana, Anne looked earnestly into her friend's face. I think you won't misunderstand me when I say I want to be alone. I'm not afraid. I haven't been alone one minute since it happened. And I want to be. I want to be quite silent and quiet and try to realize it. I can't realize it. Half the time it seems to me that Matthew can't be dead. And the other half, it seems as if he must have been dead for a long time. And I've had the horrible dull ache ever since. Oh, my gosh. It's so just... (laughs) Anne hoped that her tears would come in solitude. It seemed to her a terrible thing that she could not shed a tear for Matthew, 
whom she had loved so much and who had been so kind to her. Matthew, who had walked with her last evening at sunset and was now lying in the dim room below with that awful piece on his brow. And then the next morning, she finally is able to cry and Marilla comes to comfort her and she says, oh, just let me cry, Marilla, sobbed Anne. The tears don't hurt me like that egg did. Stay here for a little while with me and keep your arm around me so I couldn't have... I couldn't have Diana stay. She's good and kind and sweet, but it's not her sorrow. She's outside of it, and she couldn't come close enough to my heart to help me. It's our sorrow, yours and mine. And it's just like so everything about grief, like that Mm -hmm. whole passage Mm -hmm. is just so like it's got to be the two of you. And like, I mean, the people that you're closest to in that moment. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that was number eight. Number eight. Number seven, get ready for this, Casey, because I know it's one of yours. Number seven, Tom Robinson from To Kill Mockingbird. Oh, jeez. By Harper Lee. Classic piece of American literature. 1960. If you got through high school and nobody (laughs) taught you that book, I'm really sorry. Then you should sue your district. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Have you read it, Nicole? Mm -mm. Nicole? Mm -mm. Seriously? Mm -hmm. Wow. I have not. Have Mm -hmm. you watched the movie? Nope. So do you? I don't know anything about it. Are you from the South? Do you live here? I I was just going to keep my mouth shut through that, and then you called me out. (laughs) No, I've not seen it. No, I've not read it. It's okay. I know it's intense. I mean, it's not okay, because what? But, I mean... Jesus. You're not American. Uncivilized peon. I'll I'll leave now. I will say that knowing that Tom Robinson dies doesn't give away anything Mm -hmm. about the plot. Um, Oh, I have a shit memory anyway. I won't remember. (laughs) She's like, I'll listen to this episode and still won't. (laughs) Oh my God, Tom dies. We're good. <laughs> but it's just, it's one of those books I read almost every I year. I just snorted. <laughs> I hate when I snort on the podcast. <laughs> so, as we know, Tom Robinson is accused of beating and raping May Ella Yule. The judge appoints Atticus Finch. Who is a dumbass, by the way. Yes. It didn't happen. It Complete didn't happen. and utter idiot. The judge appoints Atticus Finch to defend Tom Robinson in the case, which he loses despite overwhelming evidence that Tom is innocent and May Ella's father, Bob, is the one who beat May Ella. Atticus is hopeful he can get the verdict overturned, but Tom Robinson is shot in the back while trying to escape from prison. If he had both arms, he would have made it, is what they say in the book. So, why do you think this... I mean, a lot of people had this response, but I didn't get a lot of mentions why. So, why do you think this death is so impactful for people? I think that um, when Tom dies... That happens... um, Okay, so Tom dies as a result of ignorance. Mm -hmm. And a result of things that we all know to be wrong. Mm -hmm. And the wonderful part about this book is that it the entire book from start to finish is told from a child's perspective you mm-hmm. get scout scouts telling you the story she's a little girl little tomboy and she's telling you this story and she goes through all these thematic things that are so big gender roles and racism and rape and all these really big 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 issues and all kind of stuff but you get them through the eyes of a child and it's kind of like the same thing with this death yeah when tom dies it is a huge deal but mm-hmm. to scout it's she's trying to put the pieces together yeah and trying to figure it out and that's the perspective that you get as a reader that book would be entirely different mm-hmm. if an adult was telling you couldn't handle it mm-hmm. yeah you, as you couldn't handle that book 
if it was told from a from Atticus's perspective, right? Or well, it's Calpurnia or whoever mm-hmm. else is in there. It's such a timeless story because that's something that in American history and future will always yeah be an issue. All it, of the all the topics. I remember when I read like the just sense of how unfair that is, mm-hmm. and I see I can see why that would be really impactful for oh, people yeah. to realize like. You mean that can happen? Yeah. You know, that... And it still happens. Someone who's just trying to be nice and do the right thing ends up dead because mm-hmm. of decisions that other people make and right. the unfairness. Because right. it's ignorance. So, yeah. Ignorance, yeah. And yeah. and like I said, things that we know are all morally wrong. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I like about this book and, and um, the child's perspective and the death and everything, Tom's Rob- Tom Robinson's death is significant because you get to see kids grieve as well as adults grieve so Mm. jim grieves the death and he becomes angry Mm -hmm. and jim lashes out and is trying to become a man and doesn't know where to fit in and Mm -hmm. then scout like i said is trying to put all the pieces together but she feels sad and she knows she's supposed to feel sad because she was raised in a house where she um knows that um, she didn't she didn't have all those ignorance things that everybody else does Mm -hmm. in her in her little world so you get death and grief from multiple perspectives and this read the damn book nicole (laughs) it's a light beach read (laughs) 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 sorry no no it's good this is why i want to do this topic with you so you can nerd out about it you're doing doing very that's very well very well yes that's the whole point like that grammar (laughs) i just like felt her hit me with a ruler (laughs) bam like the fuck and then I also think it's interesting how the after the fact people kind of even people that were a little bit on Tom's side when he dies they all kind of go well that's you know that's just so black of him to you know try, like just like it ends up reinforcing their stereotype because he tries to get away and she, you know just like a black man to run you know and it ends up reinforcing that stereotype that spoiler they spoiler alert mind. tom's black yeah oh god well <laughs> i'll read it now <laughs> now and that i know <laughs> so there's just so many layers to the uh, to the beautiful onion that is Yes. Side note for those of you that don't know out there, Harper Lee only wrote one other book, mm-hmm. and it's to kill a, to kill a what? No, not to kill, to set a watchman, mm-hmm. and it came out recently. And all, and to set a watchman was the first manuscript of To Kill a Mockingbird, and her publisher told her, um, "This isn't gonna work. You need to redo it." And she mm-hmm. come up with the perspective of Scout and mm-hmm. Scout as a girl, and mm-hmm. and then that developed into the story that we all know today. Yeah, wow. there you go. It's very interesting. So sweet. All right. So sweet. So number six, Lenny from Of Mice and Men. Oh, I teach this every year. Oh my God, it's so horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez. So this is one you know well. Oh my God. Yeah. So Lenny and George are best friends. (laughs) <laughs> Nicole has nothing. Nicole's I, I don't know where the hell you went to high school, will, but you need to sue them, like <laughs> Casey said. Yeah, I don't know. Casey, have you read or yeah. watched the movie? Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know this one. Okay. Do you know anything about him, mm-hmm. Mice and Men? Wow. Oh, okay. Jesus. Seen the play? I don't, I'm not an ignorant person. <laughs> I do read. But just not those two. I mean, you knew Adam Green Gables. And, yeah. one, like, and I did. Yeah. And Charlotte's Web. Yeah. So we're getting a little mix here okay. of everybody. It's interesting. Um, I'm waiting if there, to see if there's one that no one here has read except what me now. What year? 1937. Okay. 
I knew you were gonna ask that and I put the date on everything. Like when it was said or when it was written. 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 Yeah. yeah. So Lenny and George are best friends. Lenny is mentally challenged a mentally challenged giant and George has tasked him self with looking after him they often discuss their future plans of having a ranch complete with rabbits for lenny to tend to because he loves the touch to touch mm-hmm. soft things this love of lenny's leads to trouble as he doesn't realize his own strength he kills a couple of small animals trying to pet them and gets accused of assaulting a woman who when he touches her dress there would you say that's a you know fair yeah that's exactly okay. what happens. all right <laughs> they're working on this farm together and the boss has a son named curly who is mean and has a very flirtatious wife george sees how this could be problematic and warns lenny to stay away from her one day lenny accidentally kills his puppy and curly's wife stumbles upon the scene and attempts to comfort him by admitting that her marriage to curly is a disappointment and how she wanted to be an actress she offers to let Lenny touch her hair. He begins to get overzealous, and she cries out. And when he attempts to silence her, accidentally breaks her neck. Lenny runs to a prearranged place on the river to meet George. If they if they prearrange it in case they ever need to meet somewhere, um, George meets him, but knows a lynch mob is on the way. And so this is the quotation from the book. Get ready, people. The little evening breeze blew over the clearing, and the leaves rustled, and the wind waves and the wind waves flowed up the green pool and the shouts of men sounded again this time much closer than before george took off his hat he said shakily take off your hat lenny the air feels fine and i did cut some of it out because it's kind of long but george proceeds to tell the story of the ranch they're going to have complete with alfalfa for the rabbits lenny shouted for the rabbits george repeated lenny giggled with happiness and live on the fat of the land yes lenny turned his head no lenny no lenny look down there across the river look like you can almost see the place lenny obeyed him george looked down at the gun there were crashing footsteps in the brush now (laughs) george turned and looked toward them lenny said i thought you was mad at me george no said george no lenny i ain't mad i never been mad and i ain't now that's the thing i want you to know the voices came closer now George raised the gun and listened to the voices. Lenny begged, let's do it now. Let's get that place now. Sure, right now. I gotta, we gotta. And George raised the gun and steadied it, and he brought the muzzle of it close to the back of Lenny's head. The hand shook violently, but his face set and his hand steadied. He pulled the trigger. The crash of the shot rolled up the hills and rolled down again. Lenny jarred and then settled slowly forward to the sand, and he lay without quivering. I told y'all. It's so rough. (laughs) It's so rough. It's It's so so, so rough. Because they're just like, they have the sweetest friendship throughout the whole thing. And then there's a part where the dog, where they like, there's kind of a symbolism earlier with the dog where they put, this guy has to put his dog down. The guy's name is Candy. Candy, Candy, yeah. Candy is a a rancher, a Mm -hmm. hand on the ranch. And he's old. And um, Candy's dog is old. And Candy's dog is um, old and, and useless. And so they put the dog down. Mm. So Candy, the dog's dying is symbolic of Candy himself being useless. So Lenny and George um, talk about this ranch they want and the whole thing with the alfalfa and, mm-hmm. the, and the rabbits. It's like a it's like a sim, it's symbolic for or or you know representative of hope for them to get out of this lot world and out of this like working life that they have so he takes him to the I mean like he sends him there and makes him think of all the things that he wants 
and all the good that he knows and then he takes his i mean it's a mercy killing yeah either george is going to be able to kill him and let him die in the in a peaceful manner or the man's going to be yeah hurt really bad yeah Mm -hmm. they're gonna lynch i mean a lynch mob they're gonna torture and there was no way he was coming out of that alive there was no getting out of that so every when not literature but i mean it was based on a comic so kind of yes Mm -hmm. but the walking dead episode oh yeah um the one at the pecan the pecan farm Mm -hmm. the the grove was the name of the episode where carol shoots what's it lily i think was her name and she says just look at the flowers yes oh gosh it was so of mice and men because she's having to kill this little girl because she's going to get everybody else killed yeah exactly yeah so it's but it was very i mean that episode one I want to say Melissa McBride won a Saturn Award or something. Yeah, for that. I mean, that was the with hands down one of the best episodes of The Walking Dead because heartbreaking, but yeah. But it was very of mice and men. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. just, just look at the flowers. Oh. Yeah. Oh God, so Ugh. tragic. Yes. So it is tragic, but it, like as a reader, like when I teach this to my students, my students are. Yeah. What do you teach them from this? Um. Well, this is an independent novel, so they mm-hmm. read it on their own. It's very short, and it's very, it's very like it's yeah. very easy. It's very easy read. Um, and they do it on their own and I don't do a lot. I don't tell them anything I just go okay I give them like you know teacher stuff like questions and stuff and you know look mm-hmm. this up and what do you think about this and what's the theme all that kind of stuff but toward, you know, I don't tell them anything about the story because they get they get invested and yeah. they like Lenny and mm-hmm. they root for Lenny and they don't like Curly you know all that kind of stuff and then when it happens at the end like some of the kids come in they're like why didn't you tell me <laughs> why did you make me read that and then I'll like sometimes if they do well with a novel sometimes I let them watch the movie mm-hmm. and we watch the movie and they will some of them don't want to watch that part and it's just very the movie is I mean John Malkovich and Gary Sinise oh my god they're great they're so good it's so good yeah at least watch the movie Nicole I know I have a hard time um I internalize things and yeah like now that you're talking about them I like know that these are very sad books which I think is why I actively avoided them oh yeah I mean that totally makes sense and like I can't sometimes like you knew it was just too much yeah Yeah. I mean we were kind of talking about that earlier Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have to shut that down yeah or it's Mm -hmm. floodgates yes so a couple of the comments from Reddit. I haven't read it since high school because of how real it got, and I watched the, a theater performance of it last just last night. I reacted exactly how I knew I would. I was an uncontrollable, emotional mess the rest of the night, ugly crying until I fell asleep, and now I'm tearing up again just thinking of it. Fuck, I love that story. Then <laughs> the other one... <laughs> I read of Mice and Men on an airplane, middle seat between two strangers, Mm -hmm. just sitting there silently, tears streaming down my face. Bad choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those were my Reddit comments. Oh, man. Anything else you'd like to contribute? It's just, it's it's a, it's not all bad. Right. I mean, like, it's not all sad. Like, that's the thing is it teaches you a lot. Yeah. And it's very, um, and if you think about, like, she asked when it was written in 1937, Mm -hmm. it's very, um, representative of the era and the you know the dust bowl and yeah. all the things that are going on historically in america then this is that was all, me that was, i, I came on the table sorry <laughs> <That happened. laughs> um yeah it's it, it the death in that scene and the mm-hmm. grief in there is because like in the movie or in the book you don't get an, mm-hmm. an extra scene mm-hmm. in the movie you get to see george um, he's on a train and he's like moving on with his life kind of he's, yeah. he's grieving obviously but he is moving forward so you get some a little bit of closure 
about okay so george isn't like you know yeah he didn't crumble as a person you know he's moving on so as a reader or a watcher or a viewer or what the audience you get at least some kind of closure on something yeah i think it's a good analogy about grief um and loving someone because you read the book and you get so much good from it but Mm -hmm. then it ends so tragically and that's kind of like loving someone and losing them like it's worth it because the book is so great right the book Mm -hmm. is so great and your relationship with the person you you lose was so great and yeah i mean sometimes these sad reads even if you avoid them like they end up changing Mm -hmm. you i mean reading to kill a mockingbird is one of those books i would put down like that changed oh me to kill a mockingbird yeah i mean yeah when atticus finch is in the courtroom and he says something or it's not a courtroom he's talking to jim and he says something about you don't know a man until you walk a mile in, Mm -hmm. in his shoes every day and and all the others oh, yeah read the freaking book <laughs> <laughs> let's reiterate so. iconic so moving on to number five beth from little women by louisa may alcott so you, you've done that mm-hmm. one yay okay. nicole and nicole's like okay I'm, I'm with you on this how about either of you so long yeah yeah it's been a minute yeah it had been a long time for me too and it was the one i finished like driving to your house in valdosta so it's like yesterday I sped back through it yeah <laughs> so um so here's the I'll just sort of go through what I took out of the quote. So, they did feel it, yet neither spoke of it. For often between ourselves and those nearest and dearest to us, there exists a reserve which is very hard to overcome. Joe felt as if a veil had fallen between her heart and Beth's, but when she put on, put out her hand to lift it up, there seemed something sacred in the silence, and she waited for Beth to speak. She wondered still more if her sister really guessed the hard truth and what thoughts were passing through her mind. During the long hours when she lay on the warm rocks with her head in Joe's lap, while the winds blew healthfully over her and the sea made music at her feet. One day Beth told her, one day Beth told her, Joe thought she was asleep. She lay so still and putting down her book, sat looking at her with wistful eyes, trying to see signs of hope in the faint color on Beth's cheeks, but she could not find enough to satisfy her. For the cheeks were very thin and the hands seemed too feeble to hold even the rosy little shells that had been collecting. It came to her then more bitterly than ever that Beth was slowly drifting away from her and her arms instinctively tightened their hold upon the dearest treasure she possessed. For a minute her eyes were too dim for seeing and when they cleared, Beth was looking up at her so tenderly that there was hardly any need for her to say, Joe, dear, I'm glad you know it. I've tried to tell you, but I couldn't. Jesus. Oh, it's like... Nicole can barely keep it together. <laughs> now, and Nicole, you, well, yeah, you and Casey both have sisters. That's like, like, yeah, we, I've read the book uh, years ago. The, what, mm-hmm. we, what I most um, remember is the movie version, because mm-hmm. my, my last name is Little. Oh. <gasps> Yeah, and yeah. I have two sisters, so we we are also the Little Women, mm-hmm. um, and so we watch that every year at Christmas, and it's Aww. just that relationship, that sister relationship. Yeah, kills you. It's too much. <laughs> yeah, it's so, too much. I understand. But I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't have sisters, but like, yeah, Casey, so you, have, you have sisters. <clears throat> yeah, two sisters. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. Brother it's, it's a different yeah. kind of, and it's sorry, crazy brother It's here. insane, mm-hmm. but it's like also one of the things I'm most protective of. Oh yeah, like 
not yeah. fucking cut a bitch. Mm-hmm. And you're the oldest. Mm-hmm. Casey's the youngest. Oh, uh, okay. I'm so. baby. She yeah. said, oh, okay. <laughs> I get it now. Yeah. 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 That's cool. So... But so yeah, you you relate real hardly. I relate real hard. <laughs> hey, hey, hey yeah. there's some tissue yeah. if you need it. Oh, is that why that's? There? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, your mm-hmm. freaking waterworks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it happens. It that's why we keep it. <laughs> and so, um, the next part, like that part, just cuts me so deeply because they have this moment where Beth has kind of been trying to keep it from everybody that she's dying and just kind of denying it to everybody, and then she wants to tell joe and then joe realizes it and they just look at each other and they realize that each other knows and then she's just like i'm so glad that you know and i don't have to tell you now and it's just like so freaking heartbreaking and then they go back to the house and they realize she's like okay i'm gonna have to tell my parents i'm gonna have to tell everybody but it's like they walk in and everyone just knows Mm mm-hmm so mm-hmm. that's kind of what happens there. And then, you know, a couple of chapters go by, but then it's time for Beth to actually pass. And with tears and prayers and tender hands, mother and sisters m- made her ready for the long sleep that pain would never mar again. Mm-hmm. Seeing with grateful eyes the beautiful serenity that soon replaced the pathetic patients that had wrung their hearts so long and feeling with reverent joy that to their darling death was a benignant angel, not a phantom full of dread. And this part, next part, is so like just watching someone die and like at the aftermath. When morning came for the first time in many months, the fire was out. Joe's place was empty and the room was very still. But a bird sang blithely on the budding bough close by, the snowdrops blossomed freshly at the window and the spring sunshine streamed in like a benediction over the placid face upon the pillow, a face so full of painless peace that those who loved it best smiled through their tears and thanked God that Beth was well at last. Can we all just give it up for Louisa May Alcott? <laughs> like, damn. Jeez. And that's like, I was like, I had like three pages of stuff I wanted to say because it was just all so beautifully written. I'm like, okay, Laura, like, rein it in. It's just all so perfect and so well said. And that's, to me that is just that moment like all right the fire's finally out and you finally it's time to leave and then but there's still life going on yeah. everywhere else mm-hmm. we talk about that a lot all the time so yeah. it's just that that moment but yeah anything else anybody want to say nicole's like i can't mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't deal with She's like let's go next next, <laughs> next, next. <laughs> i'm locked up number four Algernon from Flowers for Algernon mm-hmm. by Daniel Keyes. Mm-hmm. I don't know that one. Don't know that one? Oh. Okay. Uh, I, for some reason, I thought for sure you would. Mm-mm. Yeah. Don't know that one. Wow. That's, yeah, that's surprising to me, too. But. Please don't take my job. <laughs> <laughs> so, we won't say where you were. Yeah, <laughs> so, Casey, you've read that mm-hmm. one? You've done mm-hmm. that one? Ms. Okay. Cunningham, what's up? Miss Hope, <laughs> yeah. So, we begin the book with a mentally handicapped adult named Charlie Gordon writing his journal in broken English and fragmented sentences. He befriends a lab mouse named Algernon, who has undergone an experimental surgery to make him more intelligent. Charlie then undergoes the same, undergoes the same surgery, and we see his writing and language improve as he surpasses the intelligence of the very scientists who performed his surgery. Along the way, he falls for his teacher, Alice, who put him up for the experiment. During a speaking engagement where the scientists are showing off both Charlie and Algernon, 
Charlie becomes frustrated by being put on display in such a way, and he breaks Algernon out of his cage, and the two of them run away and get an apartment. Charlie builds an elaborate housing enclosure for Algernon to keep him engaged and happy. His new neighbor friend, Faye, even gets Algernon a girlfriend. <laughs> away from the institution, Charlie starts trying to get to the bottom sorry, turn the page. of what it all means. Will his intelligence last? What are the resurfacing memories he keeps having about his childhood? Why did his family abandon him? Why can't he have sex with the women he loves? Then the worst happens. And so here's the quote from the book. Algernon died two days ago. I found him at 4.30 in the morning when I came back to the lab after wandering around at the waterfront. On his side, stretched out in the corner of his cage as if he were running in his sleep. For the first time, I'm afraid of the future. I put Algernon's body into a small metal container and took him home with me. I wasn't going to let them (laughs) dump him into the incinerator. It's foolish and sentimental, but late last night, I buried him in the backyard. I wept as I put a bunch of wildflowers on the grave. And so at that point, he realizes to... He starts to realize what his fate is going to be. He starts tying up the loose ends and documenting what he can, and his intelligence begins regressing. And I think that's what's so heartbreaking because you realize this is what's going to happen to you know the guy in the book. You're like, oh, like this is what's happened to Algernon, and he's just lost his buddy, and now you realize like he's going to lose his intelligence and everything that he's gained. So. It's ambiguous grief, also. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Slowly, we see his language change back to the way it was at the beginning of the book. And so that's what's so brilliant about the novel is like it starts out with him speaking very broken, like English, and then he becomes very intelligent. And then slowly the regression happens in the last part. It's easy to have friends if you let people laugh at you. I'm going to have lots of friends where I go. P.S. Please, if you get a chance, put some flowers on Algernon's grave in the backyard. It's just, oh, soul crushing. Sorry. Nicole cannot deal with us. Nicole is struggling. <laughs> Nobody, she's, like, she's like, she's like, she's like no, no, me no. alone. I'm just crying. So I'm trying not to good. sniff directly into the microphone. <laughs> it's, it's okay. We get deep in our feels here on funeral <laughs> stories. It's I told all... you, this is why I have to compartmentalize because mm-hmm. once it, I can't. Every, yeah, it'll, it'll all, all come out like next, a faucet. Yeah. So, Casey, you've, you've read it. Thanks, Miss Cunningham. Yes. So, Sorry. Yes. do you have any input? I mean, just a fucking devastating story. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. Did y'all read this in high school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 10th grade? Oh. I think yeah. I read it in middle school. I did, this was the one that I read for, this was the only book that I read for the first time re- oh, this really? time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it, was it was 10th new. grade. Like, I'd heard of it, and I remember my mom talking about it. Um, and it was a lot of people on Reddit commented about it, and a lot of people, yeah, but a couple of the comments. You know it's coming. The title alone leads credence to it, but holy hell, when it happens and how Charlie reacts, I lost it. Completely and fully lost it. The gravity of what you begin to understand at that point and where Charlie, Charlie's tale moves from there shook me to the core. Then the next one. I read that book 30 years ago, and I'm still not over it. I'm crying right now. <laughs> I feel you, big dog. Which is yep. so, you know, how, how it goes with reading. Um, and so with that, I guess we'll move on to number three. This is where it starts to get real, real. Number cool. three. Well, then it like starts. It's <laughs> been real. I'm waiting for, for mine. I know it's coming. Rudy from The Book Thief. I don't know. I don't know that one. I don't know I've seen one. the movie. Okay. 
That's not new, or I guess the movie's just new. This the is the newest new. one. This okay. is the newest one on the list. It was published in 2005. S- yes, yeah, side note, if you have not read this or seen this, yeah. it, it's epic. Yeah, so here's the thing. I read the book about five years ago, and I did not connect to this book at all for some reason. And it's not to say it's a bad book, because I feel like anyone who reads... There's just going to be a one-off in your life of books where, like, everyone else loves it, and it doesn't mean that it's a bad book or you don't, like, just for some reason, you didn't connect with it. The same thing with, like, TV shows. Like, I am Mm -hmm. not into Game of Thrones. Yeah. Right. That doesn't make you lose listeners. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not into Game of Thrones It doesn't mean it's a bad show. It doesn't mean, like, Everybody else in the world is. Right. I've only seen the first season. Yeah. So. So. I don't really care. I like it. (laughs) I do, too. I mean, I like it. Yeah. So. But it's not to say that it's a bad book because I don't think it was. It was well written, but for some reason, it just it was very hard for me to get through the first time. So I did not re-listen to it for this episode. But I did watch the movie just to kind of freshen cool. myself up. And the, the book may. I mean, watching the movie actually made me want to go back and maybe try the book again. Yeah, because the movie was really good. Movie's Gary and good. I watched it the other day, and so yeah. But um, so to summarize. But that's that's where I stand. So this was the one that I did because <laughs> I was like, I can't, I can't do it again. I had really struggled the first time. A young girl named Liesel is adopted during World War II Germany. Her new mama Rosa is rather harsh, while her new papa Hans is very kind. The neighbor boy Rudy is quickly smitten with her and is constantly attempting daring feats in order to ask for a kiss from her, which she never obliges. And so, if I confuse any movie book details here like I'm sorry listeners but like I just I couldn't do the book again (laughs) one night they receive a knock on the door and a boy named Max falls to the floor starving and exhausted Max is the son of an old war buddy of Hans who once saved his life he is also Jewish they go about hiding him in the basement for a couple of years until one day Hans confronts a couple of Nazis hauling off a neighbor the Nazis take his name down and Max decides to Max decides to leave before he is found in the basement Hans's act of bravery results in his conscription, but he returns reasonably unscathed. After Hans's return, Liesel begins writing her story down in the basement where they kept Max for so long. One night, she falls asleep while writing, and Hans leaves her there resting. That same night, their small street is bombed. Liesel is found alive the next morning by a rescue crew. <clears throat> and so, the quote. She leaned down and looked at his, where she finds Rudy her best friend. She leaned down and looked at his lifeless face and Liesel kissed her best friend, Rudy Steiner. Soft and true on his lips, he tasted dusty and sweet. He tasted like regret in the shadows of trees and in the glow of the anarchist suit collection. She kissed him long and soft and when she pulled herself away, she touched his mouth with her fingers. She did not say goodbye. She was incapable and after a few more minutes at his side, she was able to tear herself from the ground. It amazes me what humans can do even when streams are flowing down their faces and they stagger on so let me say that the book is narrated by death maybe i should have mentioned that prior so the whole the whole book is narrated by there's a different perspective by death yeah yeah so i mean everything about this book suggests like laura you will be totally into it right and um well maybe when you tried to read it it was too maybe it was just yeah yeah maybe it wasn't at the right time you were having a cold moment yeah Yeah. (laughs) yeah um so yeah and then after that she finds her mom and papa and says goodbye to her mama and realizes that because throughout the book like her mom kind of seems harsh but then she slowly softens and she sort of realizes why her mom was 
hardened and you know they and it happens over time and then she says goodbye to her papa because she loved him most her arms held him she kissed his shoulder she couldn't bear to look at his face anymore and she placed him down again the book thief wept till she was gently taken away and so that was the book thief um well the like the grief in that story Mm -hmm. um is symbolic for like a a bigger picture of grief because i mean like you got the the world war ii and the nazis Mm -hmm. and the holocaust and all that kind of stuff and then for sure that entire era was nothing but death and grief for that particular night that particular area and then it obviously grew into you know the world but she um the grief that she's feeling is in like in the book and it was depicted in the book is obviously symbolic for like a bigger yeah scale of yeah worldwide grief a universal yeah yeah Yeah, exactly she's one person and then there's so many people grieving Mm. all the world over at this point and so and there were a lot of people that remarked i mean it's number three so a bunch of people were talking about it on reddit and so i was like oh fuck i'm gonna have to read this again (laughs) there were just too many people not to yeah so i read the book thief over the summer when i first started reading it i had to put it down for a few days because i knew it was going to be a heavy book once i picked it up and started reading it again i could not put it down it was so good i have not read it was so good and i have not read and probably will not read another book that has made me cry so much wow and that's what a lot of people like their reviews were saying that just like it was the first book that made me cry i've never cried so much in a book oh, wow. and um one thing about it is just like it ends so abruptly like it's all about the build-up throughout it's just story 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 and you're just maybe that's a lot of what it was for me I was just like where the fuck is this going because it's just like I don't feel like anything's happening and then it happens and it's over but that is death like you're just living your life and then fucking death happens so okay literally that's mm-hmm. not a word mm-hmm. literarily speaking um, what you missed the reason one of the reasons you didn't like that book could be because you didn't get what um, you didn't get a catharsis at the end mm-hmm. generally in a tragedy the audience gets um, a cleansing like yeah like there's always like if you think about like the structure of a plot there's always like a short time at the end where you if it's a tragedy and everybody dies you Mm -hmm. have some sort of like you know wrap it all up in a pretty bow yeah and you're done with it and if this book ends that way then you didn't get that and sometimes and like it's like ending and you going like what what just happened with my life like i what did i just spend my time doing well to me it was even just it wasn't even so much the end it was the getting through to the end it was like i could handle the death part it was just like where is the plot going and then the plot just ended so like the structure yeah yeah, yeah the structure of it was no closure like when you spend a decade watching lost and then it just <laughs> fucking ends and you're like i never watched really lost. that's it either yeah. <laughs> don't 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 waste your life Mm-mm. so did you watch it crystal no don't no. Sometimes the story is the story and not the end. It wasn't all worth it. Life gives you new chances, but that doesn't erase your experience. An abrupt end emphasizes the middle. And that's, I thought that was really That well sounds put. like a, a lesson to learn about life. Grief. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. It's not about the way they, An abrupt end the emphasizes way things the middle. End, it's about mm-hmm. how they... Yeah. Life's a journey, not a destination. Yes. 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 I'm going to put it on a pillow. Will you make me something with <laughs> your, cricket. your cricket? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was the other news. You got a fucking cricket. I'll put it on a Yeti tumbler for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so number two. Oh, this one was deep. And Is this the So number one, one and two, I have I did 
I have listened to in the last couple of weeks, and they were both fucking rough. So number two, Bridge to Terabithia. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> we're talking about this. <laughs> Have you read that uh-uh. one? Okay, that's good. That's good. That's good, Nicole. Nicole that's is illiterate. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not, it definitely it. sounds like it. But you haven't. That surprises Laura. me that you haven't read this one. Yeah. Oh God. So There's Chris, also a movie. It's you know oh, who you know who told me about this book? No, Jenny Davis. Oh, of course you did. Hey, when we were little. Hey, Jenny Davis. Hey. Jenny Davis is a was a kindergarten teacher that lived close to us. Yeah, and she was. She is, she she is still, but she yeah. is a retired kindergarten teacher. Yes, who lived close to us and um, was amazing. Yes, we had a kindergarten teacher, and then Joanna was a r- librarian. And I don't know if she ever, but she would let me go and like pick out books. So it was like having my own little private library, like out in the woods. Oh, oh, side note: awesome. Laura and I yeah. lived close to one another. Yeah. Oh children. yeah. By the way, yeah. Like that's why we're friends. Two forty nine, two fifty. Convenience, and then just so happens that we hit it off. So, so basic plot summary: It was published in nineteen seventy seven. The creative Jess Aaron's loses a foot race to the new girl at school, Leslie Burke, who is very smart and a bit of a tomboy. The two become fast friends and learn to escape the mundaneness of their small town by creating an imaginary kingdom called Terabithia in the woods near their home. Um, my pages are stuck together. One day, Jess goes on a trip to D.C. with a teacher who sees potential in him and he has a crush on. And he returns to his mother crying. While he was gone, Leslie tried to cross the river to Terabithia and drowned. His friend. His, like, best... Oh, my God. His bestie for the resty. It's awful. At first, Jess doesn't really believe it. His parents go with him to the house to visit Leslie's parents. Jess is having a lot of scattered thoughts that, you know, are very fifth grade in nature. And so... He thinks about how he will be special at school because his friend died, and he wonders what Leslie will be buried in. It's so, like, you can just so see someone who's in fifth grade who can't completely wrap their brain around death having those thoughts, and it was so interesting reading it as an adult and, like, thinking about it that way because he's like, when I go back to school, everybody's going to treat me special because my friend died. It's just like, you think about that. That's such a fifth grade thought. It's completely innocent. Mm-hmm. And oh my God, just rough. What was? She, what is she going to be buried in? And then when Leslie's father tells Jess she will be cremated, and he realizes he won't ever see her again, it all comes crashing in on him. And the quote: "She had tricked him. She had made him leave his old self behind and come into her world. And then before he was really at home in it, but too late to go back, she had left him stranded there, like an astronaut wandering about on the moon alone." So he runs home angry, and when his little sister Maybelle asks if he saw the body, he hits her. <laughs> so sibling. Yes, and, he and goes, so like, like, you know, lashing out in grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He goes back to school, and his teacher takes him out of the class and says to him, when my husband died, people kept telling me not to cry. People kept trying to help me forget, but I want to forget. So I realized that if it was hard for me, how much harder it must be for you. And this is a teacher they had always kind of made fun of. And so then he has this moment where he was like, I feel bad for making fun of her. Like she, and shows you that moment of like, oh, you never know what somebody's going through. And so, you know, maybe don't do that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The next day he goes to Terabithia to see if it still holds magic when he hears his little sister yelling from the creek. Though she's in a precarious situation and Jess is scared, he doesn't show it and manages to coax her across. (laughs) 
<coughs> and so the comments from reddit we read it in my sixth grade class and i and i read ahead i was completely unprepared for the death <laughs> in this book um and someone else yeah definitely breached the terabithia not only was i unprepared but it was written in a, such a way that the other characters were unprepared and that's very true it's just like you don't even see it coming you're just kind of like oh jess is so like you got a great day with his teacher and now he's coming home and yeah so and uh, that's it's tough that's yeah. a tough one because it's like it's kind of like schwartz web again mm-hmm. except it takes it out of like the animal world and puts it into a little more real perspective for kids oh where somebody you know somebody that's important dies it's not like okay so fifth grade kids are used to like they're we're not used to but it's not abnormal for like a great grandmother to Mm -hmm. die or something like that but for one of your classmates and your friends to pass that's a different kind of of grief and experience you know for a kid like that which speaking of i I didn't know this until after um when i was listening to the audiobook they had a thing with the author after and she said you it's been just a classic for so many years and people still come up to her and said do you really think it's appropriate to talk about death like this in a children's book and she gets asked that question a lot and she said well i do and here's why it's actually based on my son who lost his best friend when they were the same age it's like cameron yeah cameron and his best friend exactly yeah. and, look and, how- and so she's like yeah i mean it, it wasn't their story is completely different but she wanted to write a book for that reason because she saw what her son went through and she saw like what he had to struggle with as a, a child in that world of losing something like that and so she wanted to write a book to make kids understand that that possibility lies yeah. out there that's so. like the to me and i'm you know i'm a little nerdy that's the that's the beauty of fiction is that it can be taken and used to to teach big stuff like Mm -hmm. this like we talked about to kill a mockingbird you put all that in a fictitious setting Mm -hmm. and you have this glorious story that's multifaceted and all that kind of stuff but if that was put in if if i was reading nonfiction articles about rape and Mm -hmm you know death and Mm -hmm. you know racism and all that kind of stuff it's not the same experience as a reader Mm -hmm. and like when you kind of go into this world where this really isn't real but i can still learn and take away from it which is how when you read a news article you don't typically connect to the subject right and when you're reading a book you are invested in yes. this character right because there's so. more than just like a presentation of information yeah mm-hmm. it's like you you, you are mm-hmm. like you said you're invested yeah. and when that happens you know you root for somebody or you <laughs> don't you want somebody you want the villain to you know to mm-hmm. be yeah. fallen or whatever and when you are that invested you then you're opened up to be able to learn and take away lessons and so like whoever asked the author if you think it's appropriate for yeah, you're a dumbass. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It, it, do you write it the same way you would write it for an adult? No, but no. this is geared towards children yeah, and for right. that age. And you, it's just like you don't talk to a five year old the way you talk to a seventy year old. Yeah. yeah. You know, you change your language. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Same thing. And kids, we don't give them enough credit. Right. Preach. Like yeah. they're really smart and mm-hmm. way smarter than us sometimes. And inter- and like um. Yeah that word i can't think of they, well they can, they can understand a lot more than we and, and intuitive yeah there it is intuitive. Yeah. yeah like i mean the thing is is when you're a kid and you lose someone that young that you're that close to especially in age you do kind of feel like 
you're you're different. Mm-hmm. You know, you're wearing this like scarlet letter almost. Yeah, the love that D. Lit reference. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so you you don't have you need a book like that. Yeah, yeah, I can see that totally. So number one, I saw it. I already know on the paper. I'm really I sorry, know. Nicole. I hope I almost hope you haven't. Read I hope it. you haven't read this. Yeah, because okay. this might be rough. And I mean, this was far and beyond the most voted book um, on Reddit. It was upvoted like fifty something times, I think. And even just random people that I've asked since have said like unequivocally yes like this was their number one book where the red fern grows oh it's so bad nicole's read it nicole's read it it's bad it's bad so so we've all read it yes okay so i remember my dad reading this book to me and so i just recently redid this and was crying in my bed as (laughs) as i'm listening to it it's a lot of levels of mess it was just like that's to be expected yes Mm -hmm. i mean this was above and beyond any other book and there were uh, like uh, some other dog books on the a lot of dog books on the Mm. list actually but I was like, we can't just do a whole list of dog books because no one wants to fucking hear that. So, I mean. <laughs> so, let's but, talk about people so dying. So, we'll talk about yeah. this one. But, <laughs> I mean. a lot easier sometimes. <laughs> yes. But this one was by far. Even people I know that don't read said this book. Wow. <laughs> like, it might have been the book that turned them off reading. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway. Set in the Ozark Mountains in a time when it was completely okay for a young boy to travel for miles by himself and face mountain lions with no shoes on, Billy Coleman saves his money for two years to buy himself a pair of red bone coon hounds, which he names Dan and Little Ann. For those of you who don't live in the South, mm-hmm. a red bone coon hound is a very loud dog. Yes. And he or she mm-hmm. is a, a, a hunting dog mm-hmm. and will, you know, that they're the dogs that you see with the big ears. Mm-hmm. They're the dogs on all the like throwback p- uh, police shows yep. that sniff out, um, you know, like, like, you know, people and stuff. Oh, yeah. It's a, he trains the dogs to hunt raccoons and the trio go out hunting pretty much every night. After their hunting abilities become quite famous, Billy's grandfather makes a bet on his behalf to some local hooligans that his dogs can catch this legendary raccoon that is considered uncatchable. The dogs manage to tree the raccoon, but Billy refuses to kill it. And when one of the dogs comes after, the boys come after the dogs with an axe, he trips and falls and gets killed. And I remember that part so vividly from the books when the boy falls on the axe and like there have been a couple of times since where gary's been chopping wood in the yard and like has left the axe like in a piece of wood mm-hmm. and i'm like no no no, we gotta put that up <laughs> have you never read it for the word of like, hello like have you like learned no lessons from literature so the dogs go on to win a raccoon hunting championship in a blizzard and 300 dollars, which allows billy's family to finally have enough money to move closer to town Billy's parents have decided they can't separate him from his dogs and they intend to let him stay. But one day when Billy is out, a mountain lion attacks. His dogs intervene. Dan takes the brunt of it, saving Billy's life, but he eventually succumbs to his injuries. He buries his dogs on a hill and tries to tell himself that at least he still has little Anne. Then Anne stops eating. He gives into her she gives into her grief and dies on Dan's grave a few later, which I had forgotten about in like 
I remember that the dogs die, and I remember the mountain lion. And for a moment, I was like, "Well, he still has Anne," and I don't remember. And then I forgot that she just like was so fucking heartbroken over Dan dying that she just gives up. And you're like, "Oh, "Oh, this is as devastating as it was the first time as a child," and it's this is awful. So on the day the family is moving to town, Billy goes to visit the graves of his dogs one last time, only to find a red fern growing between them. He runs to get his family, and they are amazed. According to Native American legend, only an angel can plant a red fern. And so that's the name of the book. Where the red fern grows. Where the red fern grows. Oh. So, I mean, I think like this is one, like a lot of people's first experience with grief and death in a book and right. I, I mean a lot of people have a dog yeah. when they're children mm-hmm. and so they're just like what no <laughs> so i feel like that's why it hits people so deeply also, dog deaths always in books are just yeah so, uh, movies they're because they're innocent think about old yeller oh, oh god <laughs> or don't or not we can yeah. move on from that <laughs> that's not want to so, I don't know why they do that to us in school. Like, <laughs> like we we'd go to PE, and it would be a day where the PE teacher had a sub, so they'd put on Old Yeller. Oh god! And we had to watch it, and it was always like, "Fuck, <laughs> I want to run a mile." Wow! Like, I, I was, please, I please hit me with a dodgeball. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Anything but this. And I hate to sweat. So, that's, so that's saying something. Mm-hmm. So here come a couple of the Reddit comments. I had to really scroll through, but. Honestly, it was the dogs and where the red fern grows. I can so vividly remember reading this book in sixth grade and reading ahead of the class. I loved the book and was in my room one night, desperate to finish it before bed, and ended up bawling my eyes out. Up until that point, I had never been an emotional person over fictional characters, but that book really got me. I don't think any other death in a book has really gotten me to quite like that, and I'm in my 30s now. Read this in third grade. The day we were going to finish it, we came back from lunch and found tissue boxes in our reading areas. What are these for, we asked. Oh, "Oh, you have no idea. Kids. Our second grade teacher read this to us after lunch. I don't think she knew how it ended because once she got to the tough chapters, another teacher had to come in and finish it for us. Oh. So. That's awesome. That's my research on this so far. Um... So I'm curious to know what y'all's books are. Well, you want you want to begin, Crystal? Sure. Like, what would you say your most impactful death from a book is? We'll let Nicole go last. Thanks. I'll <laughs> pull myself together. She, <laughs> yes. she panicked a little bit. If you want to just like zone out and not listen to us for, a I few may minutes, have to. Like, we'll, okay. we'll see yeah. what. You're okay, about. so yeah. I don't know how much like I don't know how much y'all read of Shakespeare, but sorry, nerd. <laughs> um, so Macbeth is my favorite Shakespearean play. Mm-hmm. And um, the death, there, there's death all over that place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, when Mac they make <laughs> Mac, Mac, Mac death, play on words. <laughs> so there are um, two deaths in Macbeth that I think are impactful, and one of them is Lady Macbeth's death, mm-hmm. which is odd because she it is very um, like it's not a big deal, like it happens, and that you don't even they don't he didn't even write that much about it, and when they kill the king to begin with mm-hmm. the death of the king in the beginning of Macbeth triggers all the events that happen later on in the story and the death of that king causes the entire country to mourn his death and it spurs off of like so many things spur off of that a war it breaks out and and you know they're they're fighting against one another and the rightful king you know the people run away and people die and 
and you know grief gets a hold of people and guilt gets a hold of people and all these other things happen and i think that is symbolic of what can actually happen and does actually happen when grief is present when someone Mm -hmm. dies suddenly Mm -hmm. or even not as suddenly but when someone is gone or something is gone taken from you or changed and you grieve in that way that it's um it's like a it's like ripples in a pond yeah like it's affected its effects are not because like generally in a play or in a story or a movie whatever death like a big death like that is the culmination Mm -hmm. and in that one it is the kickoff yeah it's the kickoff point and also in that story lady Macbeth, um she commits suicide and the reason that now this that might this might be just crystallism but (laughs) (laughs) yeah so but she her death is significant i think because first off bitch is crazy (laughs) as all get out whoo she's crazy and she controls her husband and it is definitely if you think about the era in which it was written you know shakespeare was the 16th century england if you think about the era in which it was written and and the topics and themes that are being discussed she goes against every gender role she's Mm -hmm. supposed to be playing and she controls this man and she controls him to the point that she's the one who pushes him to kill the king and she's the one who says no we can do it and you're going to do it and you're going to do what i said and there's a line where she says come here and let me whisper in your in your ear and tell you what to do you know things like that and so when she commits suicide it is literally like two lines like it's Mm -hmm. nothing like he she has pushed his power on this man and he has internalized it. Mm-hmm. And since, and then he becomes bigger than what she ever thought he could be. And he pushes her away because of that. And because he feels like he doesn't need her anymore. So when she commits suicide, it is, to me, it is so insignificant in the story that it is significant because she is, it's symbolic of um, his, her, her, her removal from power. Yeah. And how this more like she she wanted all this to happen and it did happen and then it's not she doesn't get to you know kind of reap the benefits yeah and it's, she goes she's she's crazy when she starts but she goes like really fucking crazy like seeing ghosts and shit crazy <laughs> like yeah, yeah like crazy shit going on and so it's like she the morning the country and mourning and the chaos surrounding the death impacts her in ways that she did not think were going to happen she thought that it was going to like we were going to kill the king and his son and then yeah boom you're the king what's up (laughs) you know lady what's up that kind of thing but that's not how it went and yeah so read some shakespeare so we might have to have you back for a deaths in shakespeare episode oh my god i'm so down for that there's plenty somewhere somewhere there (laughs) so how about you casey um what's your most impactful death from a book if i say the author do you think you'll know try me it's okay if you don't winston okay. groom Mm-mm. forrest gump oh, oh god that is yeah. just that book is which death well i mean all of she's them. like pick one I mean, i've never read one. the book jenny yeah <laughs> mama. yeah mama Bubba. oh god yeah so i was when we when lieutenant you, dan i yeah. was thinking that this hold was, on wait does he die in that does um, lieutenant dan die Oh God! In the book, I don't remember. No, does he die? I don't think he does. Nicole said no. No, I don't think he dies in the movie. I think he kind of we just see him where he is, and he's like a drunk, and then it just kind of 
We yeah. just assume that he doesn't make it because none of them make it. No, because remember he gets his new legs. Yeah, and he comes to her wedding. Lieutenant, his wedding. Dang Lieutenant, Lieutenant, his new Diane. legs. Yeah, and he comes to the wedding. The yeah. best part about being shot in the buttocks <laughs> is the free ice cream. That's right. <laughs> so, but when you told me because you didn't tell me the ten, I don't think no the full ten. I was yeah. thinking it would be on there, and I found this article. No, that one didn't come on anywhere that's crazy no that's the first time i've heard that one on the list so, so of course i remember the movie mm-hmm. i read i saw the movie first then i read the book and then i've seen the movie a hundred times that's kind of how i was with um fried green tomatoes yeah. it's like they're a little too intertwined for me to like really <laughs> distinguish well, them i found this article because i thought it would be on the list um but it's called it's on huffington post it's called what forrest gump teaches us teaches us about death and dying and, you know, it goes on about this classic movie, blah, blah, blah. It says, on a closer look, Forrest Gump, the tale of a simple man negotiating complex world, can actually be interpreted as a film about death and dying with some important lessons for us to learn on the subject. Throughout the film, Forrest tells story of historical events, blah, 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 blah. Um, he matter-of-factly talks about each man's death, Elvis Presley, John F. Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, MLK, and John Lennon. Um and sums up his own lack of explanation for these tragedies with for no particular reason or I don't know why, reminding us that death is a mystery that very often cannot be understood from a rational perspective. But Forrest also faces death on a personal level as he must endure the loss of three of the most important people in his life, his mama, his best good friend, Bubba, (laughs) and his beloved Jenny, who won his heart the moment he first laid eyes on her. As we watch Forrest cope with death in this uncomplicated, manner there are certain lessons that shine forth for each of us about death and dying and it goes on number one you never know what you're going to get which is i mean yeah we love that it says we have no way of knowing when or how we will die and we must live with our question and take our chances as we move through this world you know number two if i'd known this would be the last time we'd talk i have i'd have thought of something better to say (laughs) oh jeez these are forrest's words as he reflects on his last moments with his best good friend bubba best good friend Bubba who dies during a fire fight in Vietnam Forrest reminds us that our words may be the last gift we will ever give to our loved ones and we should choose them carefully any moment with someone we care about could be our final opportunity to express our love and admiration so let's not waste a single word the last words our loved ones hear us utter need not be profound or deeply wise but wouldn't it be sweet if those words spoke of love and compassion Mm. number three it's my time just my time Oh, I was just thinking that because oh. he asks his mama, mama, you know, like, why are you going to die or yeah. what's wrong, mama, or whatever. And what's right, What's time. wrong, mama? That kind of <gasps> stuff. And then she says, I'm dying, Forrest. I'm dying, yeah. Forrest. It's just my time. Yeah. Jeez. Yep. With Sally Field. Sally Field. Break our heart a million just times always. here. Yeah. Just every movie still Magnolia. Side note. Complete and utter side note. Can y'all watch Tom Hanks in anything else and not see him as Forrest Gump? <laughs> I, I can't can now. He's yeah, such yeah. an amazing he's actor. So oh my gosh. Just, yeah. it's either, to me, he's either Forrest Gump or the, the castaway guy <laughs> with the volleyball. Um, but yeah, that quote, it says, with these few words, Mama explains to Forrest in simple terms that death has its own time frame as the verse from Ecclesiastes 3-2 state. There is a time to be born and a time to die. Mama accepts her dying with calmness and fearlessness that reassure Forrest and help him see that even a painful loss can be perfect in a way. I feel like Mama is a very underrated <laughs> character in that story. Oh, she 1,000%. was killing the game, mm-hmm. killing the mom game. She like 
He's on vacation. Yeah, he's on vacation. <laughs> and then, like, got him into school. Yeah. And then, you know, like, mm-hmm. with everything that Forrest goes through, she... She's always... And everything mm-hmm. that happens around Forrest and to Forrest, she, for real, like, knows how to talk to her kid. Yeah. She de- Like, she's, like, I want to be... Foundation. I want to be Forrest's mom. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Same. Mom, <laughs> she's mom a goals. Hashtag mm-hmm. mom goals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it continues. It says, Lieutenant Dan believed that his time was to die during the war as a hero. But when Forrest saved his life and he, and he had to recognize eventually that his path had something else in store for him, we really cannot say what the timing of death will or should be. We can only observe it and marvel that death always arrives with its own sense of mystery. It's no, sorry. It's almost like he grieved not dying. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a weird, yeah. ambiguous grief there yeah. and not dying. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you have a, you think you have a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, number four. Mm-hmm. Um, number four. Death is just a part of life. Forrest recalls these words from his mama as he copes with losing his dear Jenny. At this point in the story, it becomes clear that this simple truth has been an important message. Death cannot be separated from life. So, and then I couldn't tell where heaven stopped and earth began. (sighs) When Jenny asks Forrest if he was ever afraid in Vietnam, he ends up describing to her all of the beautiful moments he remembers from that experience and also from running back and forth across the country multiple times. He recalls several times when nature's beauty was especially astounding, such as when the stars came out on a clear night, a gorgeous scene was reflected perfectly upon a still lake, and the sun rose and set with all its vivid colors. These are the moments when we recognize that heaven is not a place to transition to. Heaven is always right here, right now, within our own perception of life and death. I don't know if I don't know if we each have a destiny or we're all just floating around accidental like on a breeze. Maybe both mm. happening at the same time. With the, this final musing, Forrest sums up the key message of this story. Life can be like a feather floating on a breeze, randomly swayed and directed by gusts of wind that shift direction without warning. But life also, like each feather, has a purpose and a reason to exist, and both are happening at the same time. When we can grasp both of those concepts, as Forrest has, we will have mastered the key to enlightenment and also the answer to the fear of dying. We don't have to worry about death. We will float they're on a breeze but in that process we will also fulfill our greatest purpose at exactly the right time oh i love that article thank you for picking a book that's not all sad yeah (laughs) but god when it is sad yeah yeah lots of high highs low lows lows. just up and down mine is i feel like probably no one's heard of it it's called walk two moons by sharon creech has anyone Mm -mm. no but is it a kid's book? It's, a, it's like a young adult. It's, I first uh, read it in like the sixth grade. So is, in, it the line, is there a line in that book, in the course of a lifetime, what's it's worth? I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know that, that book. Feels, that sounds right. Yeah, I know that um, book. I get that for Layla. She's like a little, it's about a little girl. And like I said, I was in the sixth grade when I read it. So I think I identified with her just as being like an early little preteen girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm spoilers. But <laughs> the story starts with her mom has already, her mom has died. She died like in a bus accident that like drove off the side of a mountain there in like Idaho or Oregon or one of those like mountainous Midwestern mm-hmm. areas. Um, and so she's with her two grandparents going on a road trip to see her mom's grave for her mom's birthday. And it's like just a story of their journey. And then she they're it's the main story is they're going to see the mom and then there's lots of side stories that the little girl tells and then side stories that the grandparents tell so it's like an adventure to begin with anyway but it's um just the journey uh, they go along and then another major spoiler one of the grandparents dies along the way yeah so they have to send um and like they're real eccentric like the grandma gets bitten by a snake and are they they're native american right they're yes i think so um 
Yeah, because she talks about the Indianness in yeah. her blood. Yeah. Um, and so one of the the grandma dies, and so the grandfather is like, just take the car, just go. And so she like the book finishes with her going to her mom's like grave and like going to the bus that like the bus is still like crashed on the down the side of the mountain. She like climbs down and is like in the bus, and it's just like her like you know kind of finishing their journey on her own and like making her you know closure and make her amends with her relationship with her mom and like the grandparents are telling the little girl stories about her mother and um it's just it's it's i can't remember why it's just interesting because it's you learn about your mother naturally that mm-hmm. she's a human you know she's yeah. your mother and she but she has flaws and she has you know struggles and she you learn things about your mother that make her not the perfect person anymore right. that she has been up until you're 10 years old when you start yeah. learning how, mom's actually a bitch mom fights you know mom has her own problems and yeah. like so not it's just kind of like the, yeah. her coming of not a coming of age tale but like kind of realizing things enlightenment yeah Yeah. the enlightenment of the humanness of others and that she's not just your mother to serve you like she has her own life and right i'm so glad you said that book because i read it in sixth grade in miss cook's uh reading class Mm -hmm. and (laughs) shout uh, out to miss cook um and i love that book it Mm -hmm. like had such a profound impact on me to the point that now when i mean even now i mean i remember the quote from it even now when i find myself like getting really worked up I sometimes it's my mantra like in the course of a lifetime what's it's worth like mm-hmm. just let it go it's hard and I don't ever usually let it go but I, that is kind of what I've, I've <laughs> You're tried trying to, to tell myself there. because it's so true like am I gonna care about this on yeah. my deathbed no no like sometimes let it go. You, you can ask am I gonna care about this tomorrow mm-hmm. and yeah. Be, yeah yeah be. like I don't care anymore that argued with seven yeah that's just, <laughs> just like it's how it goes it's a yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, yeah I that's think, a great book yeah it's one it, well, it is my favorite book um that you can read over and over and there's it is so intricate that there's something new that you were you know forgot you remembered and mm-hmm. you know it's just it's a really good one it. yeah it's it's pretty magical uh, um yeah I've so, never read that one so good one. we'll have to add that one to the list <laughs> but I uh, I reached out to uh the blue stocking bookshelf so if you want to follow her on Instagram, it's at Blue Stocking Bookshelf. She just has an amazing Instagram. She takes pictures of like beautiful books, and that's her Instagram. It's absolutely gorgeous. And I just thought I'll reach out to her and see if she has an impactful death. And she sent us a little paragraph, and it's really sweet. Jen from Blue Stocking Bookshelf. So follow her on Instagram. The first book that comes to mind is The Kite Runner. Oh, oh my gosh, that's epic. I think it's still it's. And how do you say his name? Khaled Hosseini? Yeah, that's it. I didn't see the movie. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't seen or read the book. Can I see it? Can I see the words? It might be Khalid. 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 Khalid Hosseini. Hassan's death absolutely destroyed me because Amir felt so much guilt for the way he had treated him during their friendship. I was sobbing because I wanted the two of them to have a moment of reconciliation so badly. And then I realized it was never going to it was never going to come. So thank you so much to Jen for sharing that with us. Yeah. For appreciate yeah. that. Um what else? You just got a new follower. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Chris was like, I need to see your books. Yeah. They're absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I mean I just like every, it's one of those Instagram pages that just makes you happy. Like tarot. Yeah, exactly. That you follow, yeah. But I would like to end this episode by saying it's a quote from To Kill a Mockingbird, and I thought it was the perfect way to sum up everything from this and our podcast. 
And so, until I feared I would lose it, I never loved to read. One does not love breathing. Mm. It's like you never know what you got until it's gone, guys. Perfect. Oh, that's from Jim. That's from Jim when he goes and has to read to the old woman because he cut her bushes down. <laughs> he he hit or scout or one of one of them tore up her bush, bushes and Ooh. and the punishment was that you had Heck to go read because she was old and cratchety and nobody wanted to be around her <laughs> and like she's like dying on the bed or something and he has to go read to her for his oh yeah his punishment mm-hmm. and there's like a little timer yeah sorry yep, so there we go you can so that if you want to. to sum things up I guess yeah um. Read to Kill a Mockingbird because don't it be all, illiterate. Okay, <laughs> I will. So, because it all ends in a funeral. Bye, guys. Bye. Funeral Stories is produced by Seth and Molino, and music is by John Pope. Check out our website and blog by going to www.funeralstories.com. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Funeral Stories and on Instagram at Funeral underscore Stories. Donate to our cause on Patreon to unlock subscriber rewards. And please don't forget to send your funeral stories to funeralstoriespodcast at gmail.com or hello at funeralstories.com. Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes and listen on your preferred podcasting service. Thanks, guys. Bye.